Due to the current UK lockdown, this week's The Daily News and Brief podcast is being recorded remotely. Welcome to The Daily News and Brief podcast. Today is the 25th of June and this week's main stories are The Prime Minister announced significant changes to the coronavirus lockdown in England on Tuesday. Due to take effect from the 4th of July, the lockdown easing permits the reopening of hospitality businesses, such as restaurants, pubs, cafes and hotels, providing they follow safety guidelines. Recreational facilities such as playgrounds, arcades and cinemas will also be able to reopen, although nightclubs, indoor gyms and swimming pools must remain closed. Museums and galleries will be allowed to reopen alongside theatres and concert halls, but live performances are not permitted. While nail bars and beauty salons must remain shuttered, hairdressers and barbers have been given the green light to reopen. Announcing the measures to the House of Commons on Tuesday, Boris Johnson said, Our long national hibernation is beginning to come to an end. As businesses reopen, the government is also relaxing social distancing guidelines in England, reducing the distance rule from two metres to one. The Prime Minister said a one metre plus rule would be recommended from the 4th of July, meaning people will be advised to keep two metres apart where possible, but where it is not, they should keep to at least one metre and take additional precautions, such as using face masks and washing hands. A reduction of the distancing rule to one metre is considered crucial for many businesses to operate profitably and for schools to be able to welcome more pupils. The relaxation of lockdown also means indoor gatherings of any two households will be allowed from the 4th of July, although distancing must still be observed. This includes overnight visits and does not have to involve the same set of households each time. For example, the Prime Minister said... It will be possible, for instance, to meet one set of grandparents one weekend and the others the following weekend. Meanwhile, Health Secretary Matt Hancock has confirmed that clinically vulnerable people who are shielding from the virus will be free to shop and socialise with others from the 6th of July in England. Hancock said rates of infection in the community had now dropped to a level low enough to make it safe for those shielding to go out. From the 1st of August, clinically vulnerable people will no longer need to shield and can return to their workplace if they cannot work from home. On Wednesday, an open letter published in the British Medical Journal urged the government to take action to prevent further coronavirus deaths. The letter, which was signed by the chair of the British Medical Association and the presidents of the Royal Colleges of Surgeons, Nursing and Physicians, has called for an urgent review to assess whether the UK is prepared for the real risk of a second wave of infections. The health chiefs have recommended ministers establish a cross-party commission to evaluate the UK's readiness without looking back or attributing blame. The Department of Health has pledged to give the NHS whatever it needs, although on Tuesday, the Prime Minister said he did not believe there was a risk of a second peak of infections that might overwhelm the NHS. Meanwhile, new data from the Office for National Statistics showed COVID-19-related deaths in England and Wales have either fallen or stayed the same for the first week since the pandemic began. A Reuters tally of official data sources, including death records in hospitals and death certificates where COVID-19 is mentioned, suggests 54,089 people have died of the virus in the UK so far. Ministers have published new safety guidance for businesses after the government's scientific advisers warned the move to reopen the economy was not risk-free on Tuesday. The guidance includes advice such as encouraging ordering through apps to minimise contact, reconfiguring seating and staggering arrivals. There will also be a new requirement for customers to register their details in order to visit bars, pubs or restaurants in case contact tracing is later required. On Wednesday, the Scottish Government also announced plans for the reopening of its pubs and restaurants. First Minister Nicola Sturgeon said beer gardens would be permitted to reopen from the 6th of July, while pubs, restaurants, museums, cinemas and hairdressers can open more widely from the 15th of July. London's stock market slumped on Wednesday as a spike in international virus cases compounded fears of a second wave of the pandemic. While optimism around a rebound in economic activity and a series of global rescue packages has helped boost the FTSE 100 roughly 28% since it hit an eight-year low in March, news of rising cases in the US and elsewhere has slowed the pace of recovery. David Madden, analyst at CMC Markets, said trading sentiment was at a crossroads over whether to consider the rise in new cases as the new normal or to expect another lockdown. Meanwhile, the International Monetary Fund, IMF, 
has substantially lowered its global growth forecast for this year, predicting a decline of almost 5%. The previous April forecast predicted a 3% decline. In the UK, the IMF now forecasts that the national economy will contract more than 10%, a significantly worse outlook than its April forecast, where a decline of 6.5% was predicted. The IMF forecast came as UK retailers faced quarter day on Wednesday, one of the four annual dates when rent is paid for the next three months. The last quarter day fell in March, shortly after the lockdown was imposed. The widespread closure of UK retailers meant many failed to pay rent in a bid to save cash, meaning commercial landlords only collected around half of what they were owed. With lockdown restrictions only recently eased, property analysts say they expect landlords will collect even less rent in June than they managed in March. Elsewhere in the world, Spain's foreign minister has announced that British visitors are now permitted to enter Spain without the need to self-isolate on arrival. On Sunday, Arantxa Gonzalez told the BBC British tourists were now allowed to enter the country just like the rest of the European Union. Gonzalez said Spain was in part reopening its borders out of respect for the 400,000 British citizens who have second residences in the country. Britons make up more than a fifth of Spain's 80 million tourists each year. Travellers from the UK will still need to submit to temperature testing on arrival, and under UK quarantine rules will have to spend two weeks in isolation on their return to Britain. Meanwhile in Germany, a localised lockdown has been imposed for the first time since restrictions were eased in early May. The decision to impose lockdown in the western city of Gütersloh follows a significant COVID-19 outbreak at a local meat processing plant. More than 1,500 employees at the plant have tested positive for the virus, prompting Germany's R-rate to surge to 2.76. Officials said the local lockdown would be relaxed as soon as they had control over the infections. In the US, seven states registered a record daily rise in coronavirus cases on Tuesday, as well as reporting their highest number of COVID-19 hospital admissions during the pandemic so far. The surge in cases comes after the country began easing its lockdown restrictions. The US's top infectious diseases expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, has described the situation as disturbing and warned the next two weeks would be critical for addressing outbreaks in affected states. Speaking at Capitol Hill, Dr. Fauci also warned the country's health system could face a tremendous burden if virus cases continue to rise in the autumn and winter, coinciding with flu season. Getting a flu vaccine had now become more important than ever, he added. More than 120,000 people have died of COVID-19 in the US so far. The level of infection in the country has prompted the EU to consider whether travellers from the US should be barred from entering the bloc when it reopens its external borders next month. In Latin America, deaths from the virus passed 100,000 on Tuesday, according to a Reuters tally. Brazil and Mexico remain the worst affected nations in the region, registering 52,646 and 23,377 deaths respectively. Brazil reported 39,000 new infections on Tuesday alone. In India, officials reported 16,000 new infections on Wednesday, the country's highest daily increase since the epidemic began. The rapid spread has prompted Indian authorities to call in the army to oversee new treatment centres in New Delhi, where more than 3,900 new cases were logged on Wednesday. Officials said 20,000 additional hospital beds would be made available in New Delhi by next week, staffed by army medics. And in South Korea, the Korea Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or KCDC, has said it believes the country is now in the midst of a second wave of COVID-19 infections. The KCDC said the second wave was triggered by transmissions during a holiday weekend in early May. We originally predicted that the second wave would emerge in fall or winter. Our forecast turned out to be wrong, the center said. An intensive track and testing system had previously reduced the country's numbers to single digits. As long as people have close contact with others, we believe that infections will continue, the KCDC warned. The three men killed in a terror attack in Reading on Saturday evening have been named as 36-year-old teacher James Furlong, 39-year-old US expatriate Joe Ritchie Bennett and 39-year-old scientist David Wales. A note outside the Blagrave Arms, a pub close to the scene of the attack and where all three men were regular visitors, paid tribute to the men, writing, Our friends were the kindest, most genuine and most lovely people in our community that we had the pleasure of knowing. Police continue to question suspect Khairi Sadala in connection with the incident. The 25-year-old came to the UK from Libya as an asylum seeker in 2012. 
While the stabbings on Saturday have been declared a terrorist incident, it is thought mental health is likely to have been a significant factor in the attack. Reports in The Guardian suggest Sadullah had been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, depression and a personality disorder. Berkshire Healthcare NHS Foundation Trust declined to comment. He had also been previously referred to prevent the government's counter-extremism scheme, according to The Independent, although he was not found to have a fixed ideology and was offered other forms of support. He was later investigated by MI5, but again deemed to pose no danger of staging an attack. Former counter-terror chief Sir Mark Rowley said around 40,000 people are likely to be on the radar of security services at any one time. To spot one of those who is going to go from a casual interest into a determined attacker, which can happen in a matter of days, is the most wicked problem that the services face, he added. Concerns have risen after it emerged Sadala's three victims were friends and members of the LGBTQ community. Paul Britt, chair of Reading Pride, has called for police to clarify the motive of the attack amid anxiety within the community. People won't get closure until there's understanding, he said. In UK news, anti-racism demonstrations continued for a fourth consecutive weekend on Saturday as hundreds of people attended rallies in London, Manchester and Glasgow. Sky News correspondent Becky Williams described events in the capital as largely peaceful and said protesters had been accompanied by a strong police presence. Much of the protests focused on Boris Johnson's appointment of Manira Mirza to the new Race Inequality Commission. Protesters have called for her removal, citing her previous claims that institutional racism is a perception more than a reality. Elsewhere, Burnley FC has condemned those responsible for flying a White Lives Matter banner over the Etihad Stadium during their match against Manchester City on Monday night. A plane trailing a banner with the words White Lives Matter Burnley flew over the stadium in Manchester shortly after kickoff. Burnley's players had joined Manchester City in taking a knee in support of the Black Lives Matter movement before the match began. In a statement, Burnley said it would be working with the authorities to identify those behind the message and would issue lifetime bans. This in no way represents what Burnley Football Club stands for, it added. It later emerged Jake Heppel, the Burnley fan reportedly behind the stunt, had been fired from his job as an engineer in response to the incident. Intu has warned that shopping centres in its group may face closure if its financial restructuring talks with lenders fail. The company is the UK's best-known shopping centre chain, but is struggling to manage a debt burden of £5 billion. While Intu's financial troubles predate the coronavirus pandemic, lockdown restrictions have worsened the situation, with the company receiving just 40% of its usual rental and service charge income in the first quarter of the year. Intu said it had appointed administrators KPMG as a contingency in case it fails to agree a new financial footing with its creditors by Friday. If the talks do fail, the company may be forced to face the closure of its shopping centres. The Home Secretary has refused to apologise for the slow progress of the Windrush Compensation Scheme after being challenged on the delay to payments in the House of Commons on Tuesday. Just 60 victims of the scandal, which saw people wrongfully detained, deported and denied benefits, have received compensation in the scheme's first year of operation, despite more than 1,200 applications being lodged. Patel has defended the slow progress of the scheme and said the delays were the result of each case being treated with the respect and dignity they deserve. On Tuesday, Patel confirmed the Home Office had accepted all 30 recommendations from the independent review into the Windrush scandal. The report by Wendy Williams found the department was characterised by institutional thoughtlessness and a lack of empathy for individuals. By accepting Williams's recommendations, Patel has committed to a full evaluation of the Home Office's hostile environment policy and the creation of a migrants commissioner responsible for speaking up for migrants. My determination to right the wrongs and the injustices suffered by the Windrush generation is undiminished, Patel said. It follows the announcement of a new working group to address the treatment of the Windrush generation on Monday. The group will be co-chaired by the Home Secretary and aims to help the Home Office respond to Williams's recommendations. As Windrush Day was marked across the UK on Monday, MP Yvette Cooper condemned the government's failure to tackle the issue and said it was unconscionable that so many people are still waiting for compensation. 
the daughter of a man who died of a suspected COVID-19 infection, has launched legal action against the health secretary. Dr Cathy Gardner, whose 88-year-old father Michael Gibson died in a care home on the 3rd of April, served Hancock with a pre-action letter earlier this month. It demanded he retract his claim that he placed a protective ring around care homes. Gardner has now begun legal action against the health secretary after he failed to adequately respond. I'm bringing this case now so that the plight of residents and staff at care homes is not allowed to be given low priority again, she said. Gardner wants an acknowledgement that the treatment of care homes, including the failure to provide them with sufficient PPE and virus testing, was unlawful. The BBC has announced plans to invest £100 million of its television budget in the production of diverse and inclusive content. The funding is aimed at increasing diversity in BBC TV and will be allocated over a three-year period. The corporation is also introducing three tests to monitor the diversity of its TV output, diverse stories and portrayal on screen, diverse production teams and talent, and diverse-led production companies. Programmes will need to meet at least two of these criteria. BBC Director General Tony Hall said the action had been taken in response to the senseless killing of George Floyd and wider systemic racism. The changes will apply from April 2021. A former diplomat has described Anne Sekoulas' claim to diplomatic immunity as absurd. The US national was charged with causing death by dangerous driving following a fatal road collision with motorcyclist Harry Dunn close to RAF Crouton last August. She later fled the UK under diplomatic immunity, a protection supported by the Foreign Office. However, one of Britain's leading diplomacy experts has challenged Sekoulas' claim, pointing to a letter of agreement on US diplomats and their families at RAF Crowton, which explicitly states that immunity does not apply for acts performed outside the course of their duties. A former British ambassador, Sir Ivor Roberts, said the letter showed Sekoulas' claim was a palpable absurdity. One in five British undergraduates accepted to study at the University of Oxford last year was from a black or minority ethnic background, according to the latest admissions data. Figures from the university show BAME students made up 22.1% of its admissions in 2019, up from 14.5% in 2014. The institution said it was making steady progress towards a more inclusive student body. Despite the progress, data shows 12 of Oxford's colleges admitted five or fewer black undergraduates between 2017 and 2019. State-educated students also remain significantly underrepresented. 37.7% of places went to privately educated pupils in 2019, despite only 7% of pupils in the UK attending private schools. A US congressman has launched an investigation after Nigel Farage travelled to the country to attend a Donald Trump rally. Under coronavirus quarantine rules, arrivals from Britain are barred from entering the US, except for American citizens, their families and individuals who meet specified exceptions. Benny G. Thompson, chairman of the Homeland Security Committee, has pledged to investigate after Farage posted a photo of himself in the US on Saturday captioned only 24 hours from Tulsa, the destination of Trump's rally. Thompson has challenged claims Farage's trip was in the national interest and said the decision to allow the Brexit party politicians' visit raised numerous troubling questions. The government has committed £105 million to help stop thousands of homeless people returning to the streets as lockdown is eased. It follows advice from charities warning that the loosening of virus restrictions could see many homeless people evicted from the hotels they were housed in to keep them safe during the pandemic. The Ministry of Housing said the new funding would go towards helping homeless people secure their own tenancies. Dame Louise Casey, chair of the COVID-19 Rough Sleeping Task Force, has thanked firms that provided a safe haven during the pandemic and said an extraordinary opportunity had been created to help turn lives around if we get the next steps right. A former Metropolitan Police officer has filed two complaints against the force, claiming a hostile and racist work environment forced her to resign. The two employment tribunal claims describe the Met as a toxic workplace in which BAME staff face discriminatory treatment, including harassment and being blocked from promotion. The complainant, a Pakistani Muslim woman, resigned as an inspector superintendent in January 2020. At the time, she was the most senior female BAME and Muslim officer in the force. 
She is seeking compensation for injury to feelings and health, loss of earnings and pension losses. The Met said it would not discuss the details of the claim, but insisted the force championed equality. Elsewhere in the world, the Dutch government is facing increasing public pressure to take in 500 child refugees currently sheltering in camps on the Greek islands. Since April, protests have been held across the Netherlands, urging ministers to accept the unaccompanied minors. Cities such as Amsterdam and Arnhem have offered to take in some children, while a study by the University of Utrecht found a third of Dutch municipalities were in favour of bringing the children to the country. The government insists there is a better way to tackle the refugee crisis and has instead pledged 3.5 million euros to 4 million euros to help children in Greece. It should not be a ticket to the Netherlands when you go to a Greek island, VVD party MP Bentar Becker said. Beijing is planning to establish an intelligence office in Hong Kong under new security laws, Chinese state media has reported. Xinhua News Agency said the new security laws would override any local laws in the territory, while a new office in Beijing would work to gather intelligence and handle activity considered a threat to national security. On Friday, the European Parliament voted to take China to the International Court of Justice if the legislation is imposed, citing concerns over the erosion of Hong Kong's freedoms. China has insisted the laws are necessary to tackle separatist activity and subversion in the territory. US President Donald Trump welcomed a smaller-than-expected crowd at his campaign rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma on Saturday. Trump had hoped the event would mark a triumphant return to the presidential campaign trail more than 100 days after the coronavirus shut down the US. However, the rally crowd failed to meet expectations, with an estimated 6,200 people showing up to the 19,000-seat arena. After previously claiming that almost 1 million people had requested tickets for the event, Trump's campaign team put the low attendance down to apocalyptic media coverage and radical protesters blocking access to the venue. Meanwhile, Barack Obama has joined Joe Biden for a virtual fundraising event, helping the Democratic presidential candidate raise more than $11 million for his campaign. Biden's team said the event on Tuesday generated $7.6 million in grassroots donations and $3.4 million from high-dollar donors. It is the most money raised by a single event in Biden's campaign so far. During the appearance, Obama called on Democrats not to be complacent or smug about the race and warned there would be a fierce backlash against change. Trump's campaign is sought to remain ahead financially, generating an estimated $265 million by the end of May. Biden's total funding is reportedly around $122 million. North Korea has suspended its military action plans against South Korea, according to a report from the official KCNA news agency. It comes after North Korea destroyed a liaison office last week and severed communication hotlines with the South. A meeting of North Korea's Central Military Commission and leader Kim Jong-un on Tuesday allegedly took stock of the prevailing situation before deciding to suspend the military plans. The KCNA report did not explain the reason behind the softening of North Korea's position. A spokesman for South Korea's Unification Ministry said it was monitoring the situation. Our facts of the week are Archaeologists have discovered an astonishing prehistoric monument less than two miles from Stonehenge. The Neolithic monument is made up of a circle of deep shafts spanning 1.2 miles in diameter and is thought to be the largest prehistoric structure ever found in Britain. Archaeologists believe the site in Wiltshire is around 4,500 years old and may have acted as a boundary guiding people to Darrington Walls, another ancient monument located precisely at its centre. Richard Bates, a geoscientist at St Andrews University, said the discovery revealed an insight into the past that shows an even more complex society than we could ever imagine. Court listings have revealed Rebecca Vardy is suing Colleen Rooney for libel following their Twitter spat last year. In October 2019, Rooney accused Vardy, who is married to Leicester City striker Jamie, of leaking stories about her to the Sun newspaper. Vardy, who was pregnant at the time of the dispute, denied the accusation and said it had caused her to have severe anxiety attacks. 
Court records indicate that Vardy lodged her libel claim against Rooney at the High Court on the 12th of June. The case will go to trial unless the parties reach a settlement. And finally, a new Ofcom report has revealed that internet users are spending a record-breaking amount of time online during the UK's coronavirus lockdown. At the peak of Britain's epidemic in April, internet users spent an average of four hours and two minutes surfing the web each day, 37 minutes more than they did in January. While those aged 18 to 24 spent the longest amount of time online, averaging five hours and four minutes per day, the most significant increase in internet usage was seen among the over 54s, who spent 24% more time online in April than they did in January. That's it for this week. If you enjoyed that, then do please rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends. We'll see you next time. Bye bye.